I deeply believe that the next generation of founders are women. What percent confidence did you have that you were going to quit Atlassian to do Genshi full-time before you even started Atlassian? 100%. Oh yeah, it's not crazy to one day imagine yourself building a billion dollar tech company. Why don't I like test this? Let me bring 150 girls in a room at Snapchat headquarters. Let's do it. Okay. Today I'm really excited to have Avni on the podcast. She is the founder and CEO of Generation She, a community of 16,000 exceptional women focused on building and leading the next generation of billion dollar companies. Avni, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Super excited. I want to kick this off by bringing up this Medium post that you wrote in August 2017 of your experience of becoming the new president of Girls in Tech at USC. Can you just walk us through your kind of your upbringing, your education, and sort of that moment when you realized you wanted to really dedicate yourself to this this overall mission? Wow, yeah, it's, it's funny. I haven't thought about this in so long, but good point. I, I grew up in the Bay Area around tech. Tech has always been something I've known. My parents worked in tech, especially when you're kind of like around it from a young age. You kind of don't even understand that there are like other industries out there. When I was in high school, I think it became pretty clear to me that I wanted to pursue entrepreneurship. I didn't love classes. I didn't love structured learning. I kind of liked the idea of doing my own thing and bringing things from zero to one. So realized that, discovered the Ivan Young Academy, which was this program for students to basically pursue entrepreneurship is the TLD on that. But effectively, you get a degree in arts, technology, and the business of innovation. It was a school founded by the Apple Beats founders, Jimmy Iveen and Dr. Dre. So I found out about this program because someone from my high school got into it. When I was a junior in high school, I was like, oh my God, I'm obsessed. Like, I cannot go anywhere else. This is where I need to go. If I don't get in here, like, I don't even want to go to college. Like, college sounds lame. It sounds like more structure and things that I don't want to do. But this seems like a great environment for me to have that lack of structure and pursue whatever entrepreneurship means. And again, like I'm in high school, I barely even understand this word, but I'm excited by it. So whatever, I applied to this program and I get in and obviously I'm so grateful and lucky that I, that I actually got in because God knows what would happen if I did. My parents would not know what to do with me because I was like dead set on not going to college. I literally would get like acceptance letters because I went to this like private college prep high school where like you had to apply to like a certain number of colleges, whatever. So I was getting these acceptance letters and I like didn't even open them. I still don't even know what colleges I got accepted to. Like I was just like not even open. Oh. I was like, I don't even want to go. Why would I open it? I was like a very stubborn kid. I know my parents would like open it and be like, okay, at least she's going to college. But anyways, now I'm getting sidetracked. But anyways, I joined the Ivy Young Academy and I'm like, oh, like tech is cringe. Like that's all I've ever known. I don't want to be in tech. Like that's just like copying my parents. Like that's so lame. It's like classic like teenage, right? You just like go against me just to like rebel. So I started making these like giant digital art installations on campus and really going deep into art, but also what the intersection of art and tech really looked like. I was struggling to realize that actually I did deeply want to be a part of tech and that was something that was I enjoyed, but I had a very difficult time disassociating that with what I knew and was surrounded with to what I actually deeply and individually loved. Just because I came from tech doesn't mean like I can't still be in it. And once I got over that mindset, I was like, okay, what does tech look like, right? So discovered Girls in Tech, which was this club on campus. And I was like, what is that? That seems like 
a great first step to understanding what like a tech career looks like. And as someone who was so lost and confused, to find so quickly a community of women that were equally lost as me, but then also supportive and that support bringing so much clarity and like motivation and encouragement to go do this hard thing of whatever it was to build technical skills to potentially pursue a career in tech. The power of that resonated with me pretty instantly. I felt like I have always been in really like-minded spaces, whether that's like growing up surrounded by tech-minded people, or even like as simple as, you know, growing in Fremont where most parents are immigrants, Asian immigrants. And, you know, like that like-minded bond of like being from Asian immigrants and like culture being a big part of our, like, like Asian culture specifically being a really big part of like our life. I, I realized in that moment that, oh, actually my entire life, I have been around these highly niche concentrated like-minded people. And that's mainly who I am today. And for a moment I felt lost and was able to find that at Girls in Tech when I was like kind of like struggling at school and at USC and the power of that deeply resonated with me. I decided I was wanted to bring this to more women and felt like the easiest most natural way to do that immediately was you know leave this leave this club and, and see the impact i want to see wow avni i there's so much ground to cover there and i'm sure we'll get around to all of it i actually want to go early because you've mentioned throughout the course of your your life you've found yourself to be kind of a rebel or kind of a black sheep in some of these situations someone who wanted to rebel against tech in Fremont, someone who wanted to like find yourself in, you know, girls in tech, which is also more of a minority. But I guess I want to start in the beginning, which is really interesting that you mentioned, you know, you went to this like, pro like Harker, which I know is a top private school. And I'm curious, like how that experience shaped you in the beginning days with peers who were from families who were just gearing to prep for college and how that impacted your outlook and shaped who you were up until the point that you had gone off to college? Yeah, great question. And for sure, like high school shaped me deeply and people around me, definitely. I think environment is something that has a huge impact. People definitely had a huge impact on me. Parker, obviously expensive private school. So naturally you're surrounded by people who come from high income families, specifically Bay Area, very like a lot of, a lot of Asian people there. And then also at that time, you know, Silicon Valley was booming with like immigrants coming in there and really making like a name for themselves, achieving financial independence. And I really felt like I was a part of that from a very early age. Like all my friends' parents were, you know, leaders of these tech companies and like also like created a lot of these tech companies. And so that was like exposure environment, like huge privilege that I had from a very early age of like this feeling of you're seeing in real time that basically anything is possible, anything is possible and you can create the path that you want to see. I think that definitely deeply impacted me where I never for one moment felt like I couldn't do anything because mm. I was seeing that happen. And then also the encouragement from, you know, professors and students and parents and like that whole community that you're a part of in high school and encouragement of like, oh yeah, it's not crazy to one day imagine yourself building a billion dollar tech company like that's not crazy that's like yeah. happening in front of us and i think mm. i still carry that with me today where i'm like oh yeah like build a company sure like seems reasonable like let me just try and the second thing i think is really important is also work ethic i think 
surrounded by people with really, really strong work ethic. Everyone there was like very intentionally at, in this private school. Like it was like to go to college or it's to like, you know, do something bigger. Knowing that really early that like hard work pays off and that hard work is how you get there and has, has definitely been a huge part of what I bring like today even in my work. Yeah, having that belief that you can even possibly do it is necessary to even get started. And I'm curious, you mentioned, I think you were saying it jokingly, like you thought tech is cringe with your parents' background and where you grew up. And then you said in the first year at USC, you were doing, you were just running around doing all this art stuff. But at some point you started doing art at USC and then you kind of float back to tech. Can you talk us through that arc of like trying art and then somehow you realize, oh, I should give tech another chance? As someone who always knew she wanted to be a founder and build a company, I knew that if I wanted to build a company that actually had the ability to reach billions of people one day, that could only happen through software. Software is the only thing today that can help whatever you're building reach such a scale. And so if I wanted to do that one day, I should know how to build it myself. I never wanted to, I never want to embark on a journey ex depending and expecting on other people to make it happen. So I was like, okay, this is a goal that I have. I don't want to depend on someone else making it happen for me or like hiring the right person to do this. Like I should just do it by myself. So I was like, all right, well then I got to like go learn how to code and like be an engineer then I guess. By the time I have this realization, I'm a junior in college now. So it's like kind of too late to like go change my degree and go be a CS major. So I was like, okay, I guess I have to just like learn how to do this in like a few months. And then probably the best way and the fastest way to get like tangible skills to what it's really like to build something in practice is probably like a software engineering internship somewhere. So I was like, all right, we're just going to have to like full send it on this right now. And that's kind of how I ended up going from, you know, not really pursuing things technical to like now I'm in the deep end of learning data structures and algorithms and I'm enrolled in like interesting courses and I'm like doing the like hacker rank interview prep and all of that. <laughs> not to be a spoiler, but was that the summer that you ended up interning at LinkedIn? Yes. Yeah, I saw I saw the story on USC, which is really cool. They featured you, I think, as the only female intern slash person on your team. I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because I think your story really is just like being the one and in, in this prep school to want to pursue art and then being the the rebel to not want to go to college and then at college jumping into a career that is like predominantly male. So over that summer, has there did you experience any of those like dynamics of being the only female lead there? Did that shape how you wanted to form Gen Chi later on? Yeah, totally. I mean, LinkedIn is like a fabulous place to work. I learned so much from being there. I really grew as an engineer. I think, you know, being the only female engineer on my team, it wasn't necessarily like some odd, I felt like, I mean, I had multiple internships before that where I was the only girl on my team. This is like, when you're a woman in tech, like this is not like a weird thing because it's so normalized for you. I think at that point, because I was president of Girls in Tech and I was like deeply involved in the space, I, where I was struggling to understand is like, how do like these really large companies with unlimited budget to bring in diversity candidates still not 
still barely meet the right numbers of like gender equity. And that was what I was struggling with to understand it. Being real time in that situation, I'm seeing like how hard they're trying and how much is being, how much is being missed. And then naturally like human instinct is to spend time with people that are like, like you. So I found myself hanging out with more women in marketing and recruiting and the other interns and like the other roles, like the business interns, whatever. Just, this is just a human thing, right? To to go hang out with people who are similar to you and finding myself spending less and less time with my team, which if you think about it, in order to be like a great employee and to advance in your career, like there is definitely a huge incentive to hang out with your team because they're the ones who are, you need to grow with. So I'm also noticing in real hand the effects that it can have when you are not naturally surrounded and in the right in the right amount with like, you know, like-minded people. And in this case, gender being the biggest thing that I felt in that moment. So that was kind of where Genshi started to be something I started actively think about. Genshi wasn't started at this point, but it was when I started to like really deeply research into the space of like why it's like that. And a lot of like the original hypotheses for, you know, a lot of the stuff we're doing today came actually from that experience. In between girls in tech and starting Generation She. You went to Atlassian as a product manager. Seems like Abe and I was your first job out of college starting out as a PM. Yeah. We'd love to hear about the overall story, but also more specifically, something I've been thinking about is what as product managers we gained through that experience and how mm -hmm. we're able to take those lessons into that next thing, whether we're just continuing as a PM, whether we're starting our own company or just starting our own projects. Yeah. So I actually started Generation Chi in college, even before I got my full-time job. So this was kind of coming out of my LinkedIn internship. We I'm in the, in the academy in your last year, we have like a capstone project where it's basically you have like a bunch of units and the freedom to build whatever you want to build. And I was like, okay, I think I have a lot of ideas in this space that I have a lot of experience in and really passionate about this, which I want to build here. Generation Chi was actually out of the capstone project at Diving Young Academy. The reason why I wanted to pursue product management, specifically APM programs, which are definitely like very on brand with like all my previous experiences, which is like these highly specialized <laughs> cohorts of like like-minded people. Like I'm like so sold by this at this point, right? Like yeah, I mean, Young is this like selective group of like 20 to 30 students with like who are very like-minded. And then I would, and then also like being in like Parker High School and then now being in Girls Tech, I'm like, okay, I want the same experience like in my job. I want to join an APM program where you get to like be with a cohort of very similar, like-minded, highly ambitious, selected people. So I was like, okay, I want to be an APM and I know I want to build Generation Chi. I know I want to be a founder, but I don't think at, at that point I, I wasn't in a financial place where it really made sense for me to take that leap outside of college. I feel like I would have really like screwed myself over if I didn't have a job because with student loan and then runway and like all of that stuff is like, that's real life. And so I was like, okay, what is something I can do where I can one, keep that like specialized cohort feel that where I thrive in, but two, gives me the, gives me experience that only makes me more skilled and better to be like a founder in the future whenever I like have the financial runway to do that. Mm -hmm. so that was kind of my decision for pursuing product management, specifically pr pursuing APM programs. And then I started recruiting for that and 
beginning of senior year, very lucky to have landed a job at Atlassian, which also a phenomenal company that I like loved being at. In fact, in full transparency, was planning to quit a lot earlier than I did. Christianity was something I knew I wanted to do for real later, but just had such a great time. I ended up just staying there much longer than I thought. <laughs> That's so prior right. to prior to even joining Atlassian, like like let's say the time frame is you have the job offer, you accepted it, but you haven't started yet. Did you already know I guess like what percent confidence did you have that you were gonna quit Atlassian to do Genshi full time before you even started Atlassian? Hundred percent, yeah. It just it was a when. I didn't know when, but yeah, I had hundred percent confidence. And like when I accepted the job offer, I hadn't even started Genshi yet. I mean, you know what job recruiting is like. It's like a full-time force. You can't just like also build a company while recruiting for these jobs. So I recruited for that, accepted that job offer. Now it's, I think it's October or something of my senior year. I'm like, I have like an entire, like almost an entire year before I start this job. I can do anything. I have like infinite time. Let's start a company. I'll start it for this thing that I have a bunch of ideas and thoughts around already. So it took you roughly three years from when you started Atlassian to actually leaving Atlassian, going full-time into Genshi. And then in the beginning, you mentioned the f primary constraint was financial runway. So I'm really curious how you thought about when to leave Atlassian, especially because I'm someone who just quit their job in the beginning of the year mm -hmm. to, to live off savings and explore some new ideas. Yeah, I think financial runway is a huge reason i think skills too i think i knew there was a lot more to learn for me a lot of more things i could get better at before i like jump ship and be a founder so i think it's also skills building which is a huge reason why i went to my last scene as well yeah it's honestly kind of tricky i think that the pandemic really blurs like this for me because as an extrovert who or basically like as an extrovert, the pandemic was tough for me. I definitely felt like it set me back a little in terms of mindset and progress. And I I was the classic pandemic girl who would like co like have a hobby and just like overdo that for like three months. Like, so like for like a few months, like my hobby was just like hiking. And so I just hiked so much, <laughs> like multiple times a week. And that takes so much time. And so I think like kind of, during the pandemic, I would say for a while, a lot of my goals were actually at a standstill. So once I like got through that of like, okay, like I'm over being sad about us being in a pandemic and I'm I'm like taking this as life as it is now is when I started to really start reflecting on my job. And I'm like, okay, like I have this goal. This is something I'm really passionate about. And, you know, I'm, I'm working on it on the side throughout the entire time I have this full-time job, right? So I think it started getting to a point where I was getting pretty burnt out doing two things is when I started to really reflect running a company and having full-time jobs kind of tough. So when I was like nearing burnout, I've, I'd experienced burnout a few times before. So I had a, I have a very strong signal for detecting when I'm like bordering burnout. So, so I started to feel that way is when I was like, okay, like, I don't want this to happen to me again. Like now is the time I need to make a decision. Like, am I doing this thing? Am I like quitting my job and jumping ship and like, going to do this thing that I've said I'm going to do for like the past like three years or have I changed my mind does it not make sense for me anymore do I like continue at Atlassian that was really where that like came from 
I don't think it was related specifically to like like the market timing or like something, some shift in my job. I think more people need like a a burnout detector. You know, I think a lot of people I know will push and say, I'm not going to get burnt out. And then lo and behold, like the next day turns around, you're out for like three days. You just feel like in the dumps. So it's really cool to hear that you do have that like signal on yourself, maybe from past experiences on how to like get Literally back from up trauma. And, and avoid it. It's a trauma yeah. detector. It just sucks though that I think the best way to determine burnout is actually when you've experienced it bad, that you're almost like traumatized and triggered by that feeling. That actually is what detects it. It's like that fight or flight instinct that comes in. I think that's really sucks that like people have to actually go through the feeling of burnout to detect it. Because if you've never experienced burnout before, it's it's very difficult to realize when you're like bored. What was, what was your most vivid experience with burnout then? Yeah, it was actually a month before I graduated college. I, it was like around the start of Gen Chi, literally started Gen Chi with burnout so bad, but I was like, okay, whenever I have all these ideas, why don't I like test this? Let me bring 150 girls in a room at Snapchat headquarters in, in LA test a bunch of my theories out, throw a conference in real time to test one of these mm. things out. And I want to do it in three weeks because I'm graduating soon. And also I want to go to Bali, all this girls in tech trip. And also I want to go to Cabo for spring break with my friends. <laughs> and also I want to graduate. And this is just me, just being too much. So I have three weeks to throw this conference. And so go. <laughs> then I was like, that was too much. Just like basically through this conference and like, two months we sold out all tickets in like three weeks we had this conference that's not super successful like very proud of this moment went to bali went to cabo (laughs) ready to go to coachella now and i just boom cannot burn out it's it's funny it's like the common it's not just the combination of like mental burnout working hard it's also physical burnout like i was doing so much like work and also then going straight into all these travel plans while i'm in school too while all this is happening yeah so i'm like classes and whatever so it's it's i was actually a combination of like mental and physical burnout and then yeah i did not go to coachella i didn't make it out there <laughs> but i was wow. fully burnt out and like i couldn't even get on my bed or shower for weeks to recover from that that was my first experience with burnout and i was like this is so not worth it because now I'm out for multiple weeks where I can do nothing, which is worse than just slowing down. What are some of the like things you notice first? And then what are some of the tactics that you use to kind of reel it back in? Like whether it's cutting things out of your schedule, yoga, or like sleeping more, things like that. I think detection is like, that's going to be hard to explain. I think it's like a little bit more abstract. Kind of, you can like feel it in your body, in your mind. You feel, I think I find myself like detaching from life a little bit and being a little bit more, being less intentional with day-to-day things and what I'm doing and working on. So I think like recognizing signs of burnout is actually, it's very internal. It's not as simple as I think like, oh, I'm tired and I want to sleep a little longer. So that's how I'm able to recognize it. And I can also tell by how I treat people around me if I'm not able to energize a room It's probably Mm -hmm. because I'm losing energy. I should, as someone who is extroverted, I like to spend time around people who give me energy. And in the same way, I want to be the person who gives other people energy 
So noticing as well how I treat people and how I am around people is another way that I recognize burnout. And then when I do start to recognize those, instead of continuing down a path, so I continue down a potential moment where I officially am burnt out. Because I actually think burnout is not really something that you move into. I think it's actually a switch where you're like, or at least I'll speak for myself where it's like, when I notice the signs, like I have a choice I can make. I can recognize it and address it or ignore it. And then one moment I'll just be like a switch off. And I that cannot think, cannot move, cannot function. And that's the worst thing you can do for yourself, for your team, for your goals is lose that momentum. And so as someone who's experienced those consequences, I immediately like start to recognize them. Okay. Like for me, that's not worth it. I've, I've seen that story play out. I will, I will do things that feel my energy. So that could literally be as simple as hanging up my friends a little bit more or sleeping in or like journaling or meditating or yoga. I love, I love swimming, going to the ocean and the beach. Like it's, it's actually so simple. Just do things that bring you joy, bring you energy. Everyone has those things. Those are things for me. For someone else, maybe it's reading a book or, you know, maybe it's, it's actually the opposite of socializing. It's, it's spending more time with themselves being alone. Maybe it's, it's spending more time with family. Like I really think it's up to you to recognize what are the activities and things that bring you energy, bring you joy? Take breaks, really simple. Yeah, that's cool. I, I love that you described it as a switch. I, I, I always hear about it in that sense too. It's not like progression. It's like you progress in terms of the work and then suddenly one day it, it dawns on you or it hits you. So I think that's a, that's a really way, it's cool to hear you say it out loud. I never thought about it that way. Matt, do you have questions before we um, just deep dive into Jen Shi? No, I was, <laughs> was going to go there too. Yes. Switching gears back to Jen. She, I'm curious, could you just like frame the problem for us as like, I mean, Abe and I were literally like, we look like we work in tech. I mean, we did work in tech. I guess I'm on the outside now. And, you know, I think Abe and I, we know a bit about this space, but we're not, we're obviously not like the target user and. As much as I would like to say, like, oh, I'm an ally, I feel like I've probably done some, made some subtle mistakes or have these, all these biases and every company exists for a reason to try and solve a problem. So I'm hoping you could just start out by telling us what exactly is the problem today and how are you planning to tackle it? I think the problem is very yeah. it's There are not that many women in tech today and how can we change the face of tech and make it more equitable? for most women and men. It's not because women are less good at coding or that we like we, we don't like tech as much. I think what that ends up happening is it being a chicken and egg cycle where we, human nature is to be around like-minded people. People are similar to you. That is how we feel safe. That is how we feel happy. It's how we like bond, build community connection. Tech today, because it's majority male dominated, it strays more women away from there whether it's subconsciously where it's like we start off in an entry-level position we end up like leaving and moving to like other industries where we feel safer more included we feel that belonging we find more joy in going to work and having friends around us or it's it's more active of like 
oh, like it's intimidating, it's daunting. There aren't people in this space that look like me that sound like me. So I'm gonna go choose this other path. I think it's it's actually that simple where it's like, how can we just create more equitable spaces within tech so that the choice of joy, of being in tech is not, it's intimidating, it's daunting, it's not for me, but the choice is, it's not interesting, it's not exciting, I'm not good at it, whatever. Those are real reasons. We need to first like create more equitable spaces to allow women the room to make those choices. So I think I mean, that's like the longer version of the problem, but the short TLDR is like gender equity in tech is an issue yeah. that I want to solve with um, Could Can you also elaborate a bit more about the angle that you're coming in from? And what I mean by that is you said people are drawn by human nature to people similar to them. There's like, a feeling of I am looking at this team, peering into this team, and I'm not seeing people similar to me. And then I'm sure as someone who is like the only person on the team, you might face like literal, like direct consequences of being the only female. So what are the problems that you're trying to tackle? And are they in both of these spaces? Yeah, I mean, a long-term both for sure. Short-term, basically what we're doing today, I would say it's, it's the first, which is very simply like, breaking the cycle of the whole early employee not being early employees not being equal and so like to go deeper into like kind of what we're actually doing today to solve this is most like tech companies are started by men this is like a fact many are started by women but majority started by men majority early employees are people in your early networks people you know friends you have and so naturally if majority of these tech companies are started by men, then majority of their early employees and founding team members also be men. Like these are people who are naturally in their network, right? It's the whole thing of like human instinct is to surround yourself with similar people. And so the problem right now is even if somehow every male tech founder was like, I'm, I'm determined and dedicated to bringing in women early in my founding team members, in my leadership, whatever. They're not going to join it. Even if they give them the offer that they're going to be like, I don't want to join this like all male tech team. This isn't good for me as a woman. This is not a space that I feel like I'm going to thrive. So then you have this chicken and egg problem where it's like, we want them in the equation early, but it's not a good space for them. So, but if they join, then it'll be easier for the next woman to join and it'll be mm. even easier for the next woman to yep. join. And then you can continue, right? So it's like, what we're trying to solve is breaking that cycle. So what we're saying is, hey, we are going to help you as a founder of this company that lack representation, hire female talent that you can bring in as early employees, as founding team members. And we're going to incentivize that talent to accept your offer because very likely this is top talent. They have a bunch of other offers. It's not like they're desperate for a job. Why would they choose this like, no name, no brand name startup, small team, not the best place for them to work over, like, let's say a Facebook or a Google where they're getting paid more and the likelihood that they're going to like have other peers that are similar to them are much higher, something on a lot of large numbers of like, there's just a lot more employees there to find that from. Yeah. Why would this woman ever pick the startup? There's, there's like no incentive and women are naturally more risk averse and there is riskiness to joining a startup, right? So there's all these factors why like they wouldn't do that. So we're saying, Hey, what we're going to incentivize you is if you accept this offer with this startup that we've paired you with based on what you're looking for in skills, role, career, interest, whatever, you get selected 
to join this private membership of other top people talent, mentorship, professional development, coaching. So we can fill that gap of, of like lack of belonging, lack of support, lack of role models that you will feel at this company. Don't even try to find that at this company. Find that at Genchi. And let's, let me, let's help that company break that cycle. So now that you join, you'll be the first woman there. You're going to make it much more attractive for that next woman to join, to the next woman to join. So almost like that company can graduate out of Genchi at some point. And they can have that internal like support and community and culture and coaching within their company. And they don't have to find that at Genchi. So that's kind of how we're trying to tackle this problem right now and break that cycle. So... You mentioned a lot of, hey, we were Genshi is here to provide you and you being like the members of Genshi with that community of like-minded people early on in their careers. I think you can tell me if I'm wrong, but Genshi is like 16,000 people now. Is that right? How do you begin to foster community at that scale? Right. I think about that a lot in New York City. You go and meet a lot of people, whether it's for fun or for a networking event. And then you leave at the end of the day and it, it, those connections slowly deteriorate and degrade over time. So at totally. 16,000 scale, how are you making <laughs> sure that people feel connected and welcome? Yeah, no, great question. I actually think about this a lot. And I think the key to keeping community feel quality at scale is continue to like cohortize it as it gets bigger and making sure people get different experiences or interacting with different people. So. An example is like someone in high school who's gone out and built like a high school club on campus gets a very different experience than someone who's like interning at one of our startup partner partners who gets a very different experience than someone who is joining full-time a startup and is joining this membership community. So all around like a member is someone who's actively involved in Genshi in some capacity, but maybe they're at a very different stage of their career journey and like their learning process. And so how they get Generation Chi as a, like active in their life is going to be very different. And then how do you bring those people at that very similar context and stage together so that they feel this very intimate community amongst a much larger community and a much larger vision and mission of like what Gen Chi stands for and sharing that. That's that's quite great what you're doing. And it's also a huge responsibility. I know that, like you said, there's a lot of risk to joining an early stage startup. On the supply side, how are you also vetting the opportunities that you're delivering these folks to make sure that those are quality companies that you would want to work for yourself? Like, how, how is that pipeline? Yeah, actually, I wanted to add on to that question. Are they the kind of companies that are like forward thinking and the founders know that they want to be, you have these inclusive teams and they value diverse thoughts, or are they more like the opposite where it's the company that's just a bunch of dudes that is struggling to hire their first woman, or is it like kind of in the full spectrum? Actually, there's there's no good answer to that. It's actually like totally diverse across the spectrum because we have some companies that are like female founded, they have a bunch of women on the team and they're like, we love this, we want more and we want the best. And then obviously they already have like really amazing cultures and really strong teams there. So like vetting is pretty easy. Or we'll have the totally opposite spectrum of like a hundred percent male team. They really want to hire women they're very much struggling to do so so they're coming to us for help and those are also really great teams because we can make a huge impact there help them get like a bunch more women the door to create more of an equitable space and culture at their company so it is actually ranges in, in both ways so and that how way, do, there's no pattern how do you think about the business model of genshi and the 
willingness to pay of the customer, the customer being the, the business in this case, because like you mentioned, you might have a team with plenty of female founders and other women in the company and they're like fully mission aligned with Gen Xi and, and they just want to develop the culture even more. And then I could argue that that all male team that has struggled to hire like a diverse candidate for like six months now, they would be willing to pay even more, right? To land that first female teammate. So yeah. I guess like, would you charge that latter company more because they have like a bigger problem per se? Yeah, great question. And the, and the short answer is no, because what they end up doing is if we charge them more, they'll take away from their salary. They'll find, they'll find budget mm -hmm. where they need to find budget. And then it ends up screwing over the talent that ends up taking the job. They should be, oh, I don't, I don't want like budget put into our software mm -hmm. to be taken from the candidates potential to achieve at that company and then the salary they're going to get. So what we try to do is we try to be cheaper than traditional standard headhunters and recruiters who are helping hire for that role. Like that level of experience is how we end up pricing these things where it's like, and we're like trying to be as software enabled as possible at the moment, with as, as you can be in this copious early stages of building a company so that we can also keep costs pretty low on our side of things so that we can, we don't have to charge like insane amounts of money to like the startup and impact the talent's salary potential in that process. So that was like kind of like a, not like more of a clear <laughs> answer, but that's, we're, we're very much also priced like very differently based upon how many roles you're looking for, you know, what type of talent you're looking for, things like that as well. So it varies based on like the size and stage and things like that company. Got it. Yeah, that was an interesting answer. And I'm glad you're thinking about like the second order effects of, you know, trying to trying to change up the pricing structure I'm, i was gonna ask along this lines slightly tangent like jen she has like on your website and, and trademarked you know we're investing in talent to produce the next generation of billion dollar companies so i'm curious for you what does that mean for jen she if you look down the line x amount of years when you've achieved the kind of success and impact that you wanted to have what does Gen Chi look like and what does the world look like? I deeply believe that the next generation of founders are women. And I want to be on the forefront of this movement by investing in talent, getting them educated. I think one day every company will be a tech company. So tech talent and especially investing in the tech industry is where I want to focus my time right now. The other huge trend that I'm seeing is that with AI and no code, like technical innovation is less of a reason why companies succeed and distribution and audience is more of a reason of how companies can succeed today. And like really how I think the next era of, of start like unicorn startups are going to be from companies who have the biggest audiences, the biggest distribution and not from, they have the most complex algorithms or like the coolest technology, just because tech is becoming more and more accessible every day for people who are not necessarily the most technical. And so the people today who have like the most distribution and like the greatest audiences are actually creators and influencers. I think women are pretty good at being creators. They're very good at using the tools, especially when it like naturally women are like more attracted to like video and aesthetics and that kind of stuff. We like pick up these creators really fast. So I actually believe that the next generation of like founders are actually going to be coming from 
these creators who have massive audiences, have massive distribution, and are going to be spinning these companies and like creating like their competitive advantage in that way. And so I'm like really excited for this trend. I think for the first time in the world, like, you know, women might even have an advantage here. Who, who knows? Like, we'll see. And I want to make sure that Genshi is at the forefront of the chat, whether that is, you know, getting them placed at startups really early so they can see how these companies are built from zero to one and like build that excitement for maybe building their own thing one day. And then when they're ready to do that, how can Genshi, you know, be their first backers and help them into the transition of maybe like being a part of a startup to starting their own company one day and totally opposite side of the funnel. Like how can we get more women educated about tech careers, about the creator economy, about marketing, about, you know, what it's like to build things from zero to one so that we can place them jobs or like show them how to eventually be founders. And obviously we can't do everything at once. So we're really focused on like right in the middle right here with all the stuff we talked about before, but Genshi is like really excited about like moving in these other directions as well, whether it's like helping more founders succeed and achieve their potential with like capital and community and resources or the totally opposite of of like, how do we help like young Gen Z women who are, who are not naturally exposed to spaces get more exposure so we can like funnel them into tech and careers and startups and things like that. You've mentioned education a couple of times now, and I think as a function of being a guy, but also having worked for a few years now, like some of this stuff comes second nature and I have like a network after working a few years. And so I'm curious, like for that girl that's in, I don't know, sophomore year of college, what does education about getting a job in tech actually look like? Because I've already forgotten I mean, I'm sure I had to learn very similar things, but I've kind of like already forgotten what all those things I had to learn mm-hmm. were. So I'm curious what, what, how you think about focusing in on that education piece? Yeah, I think education is very simple. It's not even related to like, whether you're a sophomore, you're 14 or six or like 35, you learn by like two ways. You learn by doing and you learn from others, right? So you can't learn something if you don't actually practice and you can't learn something in isolation. This is why like, the university model is still highly prevalent in our society today because it's not as simple as like doing homework or watching a lesson. Cause like you can do that on like Coursera and like YouTube today. Right. It's, it's not the fact that you can like learn, go to like office hours and from a TA, like, you can learn with your peers. You're like on this campus with like highly dense population of like like-minded people that you like are exposed to and they're like inspire you to like explore different things or like move towards your goals. Right. So what we're trying to think about is, through standard education of learning skills and tools, how do we help create more community spaces so you can like learn from others better, specifically learn from others that you like are like-minded and similar to, but then more importantly, how do you like learn by doing? I think a really specific example is like coding, right? How do people become better engineers? It's like by doing, by making apps, by building, going to hackathons. And a lot of these spaces today are like very male dominated coming from like gamer culture and not really built with like women in mind. And so a lot of what happens is they might think they're bad at coding, but really it's, they're not really being brought like really fun, exclusive, engaging spaces for them to like get better at doing that thing. Maybe they could be really good if it was more organic and like seamless to like how they like to socialize and spend their time. So that's like a small example within the broader education. Okay. To close, imagine right now, this was a live podcast with like a massive audience and we're like in some stadium and the audience is 
all the men in tech, like just hypothetically, yeah, you have okay. all the men working in tech, which, you know, today part of the problem is like, that's the majority you're standing, you're sitting in front of, you know, you have a giant microphone in front of you. What is your message to all these dudes in tech? Wow. <laughs> I guess I technically sell to men all day, so this should be easy, technically. Yeah, I would just say that it makes business sense to think about diversity, and gender is, like, the biggest one. So, kind of on you to not be thinking about it. And it's your business on the line. Hmm, and totally. I hope that... Having a diverse team is good business. So, if you care about business, if you care about your company, then... You should care about this and we want to help you with that because we know it's Sweet. hard and yeah that was <laughs> great and and where can people find more about gen chi about you if they want to learn more yes you can visit our website generationchi.co and find all our socials there at gen.chi and yeah all that information there. You can find me on TikTok if you want, <laughs> but it's kind of weird and cringe. But we'll get we'll get better. We'll get better. Every every creator has to get over the the cringe hurdles, so yeah, it's just a part okay. of the journey. Yeah, I'm fine with it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.